It is good to be with you guys. Hopefully you guys have had a, um, a great week. Um, I, I'm just getting used to this weather. I mean, come on. I, I woke up and I'm like, is that dust? And they're like, no, that, that's smoke. And, and, uh, and then we had the opportunity to, I, I mean, I'm experiencing you know, 106 degree weather. And so we're going to be talking about hell this morning. So turn your Bibles. Um, I mean, let's just, no, just kidding. Not really. We're continuing on in our series uh, through the book of Colossians. And uh, so if you're, for your, if this is your first time, welcome. We're so glad to have you here joining us online. Uh, we're so thankful to have you uh, as well, church, whether you're present or, or far away. We're so thankful that you're here. Um, and uh, the church is not about a building. It is about the people, and so we're so thankful for you and what God is doing in and through your lives. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the book of Colossians, which is the New Testament. It's one of Paul's many books. He is writing from a jail cell, and, uh, and he is talking to, he's, this letter is to the church of Colossae, and he's dealing with a lot of different things. But here's why we titled it uh, Dare to Live, because what he is saying to this church really is daring us to live different, to be different. Um, then especially when before we knew Christ to after we know Christ. So as you're turning to Colossians chapter three, um, let me share with you. Um, I remember on September 11th, 2001, where I was. I remember exactly where I was. In fact, I remember the clothes that I was wearing. I remember that I had pizza for lunch. I remember the people that were around me during 9-11. I remember, I mean, there's even smells that I, I remember. And some of you might, might be able to echo some of these same things. You might remember everything about it. And, and as I'm watching what's happening kind of unfold in front of me, um, it, it wrecked me in a lot of different ways. And, and I'll even go as far as saying it, it changed me. And, and if you experienced or watched what was going on with the Twin Towers in New York City and all that was taking place, it truly changed me. It began to, to view, I mean, my, the way I was viewing life kind of shifted. The way I viewed people, the way I viewed, I mean, like it just, it just did. It was a significant event in my life. And all of a sudden, I, on the other side of it, I, I wasn't the same. So let me ask you a question. Because I think this, is, this question is important, especially on where Paul takes us this morning. Um, why do you come to church on Sunday morning? Why do, you, why do you get a book called the Bible and you open it up, um, you open it up and, and you begin to read? And, and, uh, and why do you get into a, 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 like a grow group, one of our real life grow groups and and, uh, and, and why do you, maybe you greet at the front door, or maybe you serve coffee, or, or um, maybe you're not sure, or you're working in the tech booth, or what? Why do you do that? Is it, just to, is it just to merely feel better about yourself? I mean, that, I, think that's, I think that's an important question. Is it, is it merely to, to um, maybe uh, to help uh, have your good outweigh your bad? Maybe you're kind of, out, so you just had a really bad week, and so I'm going to come here on Sunday, and this is why I'm going to do this. Or, or maybe, maybe you're not even there. Maybe you're just trying to manage your guilt, manage your sin. I just, I just, I, I'm just trying to manage my sin, and this kind of helps me sort of learn how to manage my sin. Because I don't know about you, and I think Paul even goes there this morning, is, this, is if you are touched by Jesus... If Jesus introduces himself to you and you discover first and personally that he is Lord over all, he is God, that he died on a cross to pay for the price penalty and free us from the power of sin and that he died and was buried in your tomb and rose again, then my question to you is, what's different about you? I mean, why are we going through all these things? Is it merely to feel different to, to, or, or are you different? Because I remember, I mean, I'm looking at this 9-11 activity and I, I was different on the other side. You know why? Because it was so significant. So I'm wondering, and I think Paul kind of leads us to this. He's wondering, and he's talking to the church of class, what's different about you? 
See, last weekend we talked about God resetting us. I love that. I love that. And he didn't just take something old and kind of improve on it. No, he actually made you something new, someone new. You are no longer a citizen of this world. You are a citizen of heaven. You are someone, you are a peculiar people. You are a a chosen, a royal priesthood. You are not of this world. And, And I love how he resets us. So let me say this. I think a reset life should be a different life. It should be a different life, shouldn't it? It it shouldn't just be a a life that, that, you know, uh, I'm I'm gonna gonna wear the t-shirt or or people will think that I'm changed. Because we we can do that, right? We're super good at it. I I mean, you can can pretend, uh, and my, my professor's, um, he, they would, they would laugh sometimes at me because sometimes, especially in college, I would pretend to be smart by learning certain big words, you know, like trajectory, just threw that out there. You know what I'm saying? Like, and these, these larger words. And, and then all of a sudden when they began to ask me questions and further, they realized, oh yeah, okay. You're an idiot. That's great. Okay. Yeah. But I, I can portray whatever I want, at least for a short bit. But I really wasn't changed in that moment. And the truth is, is, is I think many of us that come to church, we like to portray something that we really aren't. See, Jesus ends up becoming more of a um, someone you live with rather than who you live for. And there is a real difference between the two. We like Jesus as a roommate, don't we? Like coming home because he stays in our, our house. He stays in our apartment or wherever we're living. And, and we, we come home and, and we shoot the breeze with him. We talk with him, that kind of thing. But it's like, okay, you stay here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go do my thing for, for the next week. And that's what it's like. We, we come into the, his house and he's here. And, and we, we like, it's comforting. You know, it's like his warm blanket when we walk in. But, I, but he's my roommate. See, and that's how we treat him rather than actually living for him. I'm not changed by him. And I think that's an important question. Last week I shared, um, I shared how um, I had um, for, well, for five years I was an idiot um, and uh, kind of um, stepped away saying that my wife uh, wasn't marriage material. Wow, was I wrong? Okay, all right. I mean, she, uh, I, I truly was dating her for 10, 11 months, and then I stepped away and uh, was driving back up to Virginia, and I just literally had this thought that she's just not married material. Now, I hated losing those five years. I hated losing those five years. But can I just say, I needed those five years because I wasn't who I needed to be. I just wasn't. In fact, if you ask my wife today, the person I was at the beginning of that five years in comparison to when God brought us back at the end of that five years, I was a different person, not because of her, but because of who Jesus was in me. He had to do some things. He had to remove some things. He had to cut some things. He had to reset things in my life. He had to reset my priorities. Remember last week? He had to reset my nature. He had to reset my views. Where are my eyes fixed? He had to reset things about me. And so a reset life needs to be, should be a different life. One of the things that I also began to discover is is that not only was a reset life going to be a different life, a reset life should be a holy life. Now see, God's holy, okay? And that's kind of a churchy word, especially if you don't go to church or or you're online. So let me help you with, with the word holy. God is something else. Let me be very simple. Let me simplify it. He is something else. We are not God. God is not us. He is, he is something. He is other. He is, he is set apart from all this world is. He is set apart. But then God says in, First Thess- in Thessalonians, he says, Be ye holy as I am holy. So God is going, I want you, my creation, to be where I am. So he calls us into holiness to be set apart with him. Now we know in, our, in and of ourselves, we can't do that. But God never asks or commands something that he doesn't make a way for. And so that's why he sent his son, Jesus, to come and set us apart. 
I'm going to take you from here to here. You were once blind, but now you see. You were once lost and now found. You were once dead, but now alive. You see how he is shifting us over. He is setting you apart. And when you look at the Old Testament, now you know why Israel is the chosen people. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. A peculiar people. This is who we are. We are no longer citizens of this world. We are citizens of heaven. Uh, this, is, this, is where, this is where we belong. A reset life has to be different. Now, I love this passage where we're going this morning. Now, if you know Matthew chapter 22, it speaks of the two greatest commandments. Two greatest commandments. And some of you know them by memory, but I, I wanna, I, I don't, it's not going to be up here. But I want to read them to you to remind you because I think... Paul helps us understand, kind of infers to these two great commandments. The first, is, the first commandment is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says in verse 40, the entire law. And all the demands of the prophets are these two commands. So you can sum up all the commandments and all of life by saying, love God, love people. That's what it says. Love God, love people. These are the two commandments. If you are doing those two things, then guess what? It seems like everything else sort of falls into place. I mean, if, if we are doing these well, if we are these things, then everything else seems to fall in line with what God originally ordained and commanded. The result, the result of a reset life is a transformed life. See, um, I think God's reset will always demand God's results. Does that make sense? God's reset in our life, the fact that he's making you holy, the fact that he's doing something different, making you different, will demand God's results in your life. If you don't see God's results as we walk through, you need to be asking why. Why don't I see God's results in my life? Because maybe more systemically, more internally, you understand that it's because maybe you actually don't know him as savior. You like him, you like hanging out with him, you like living with him, but you've never lived for him. And you've never known him as savior and God of the universe. So let's see what Paul has to say with us as we continue on in our series of Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 12. If you don't have it, it's going to be up here on the screen. Follow along with me as we walk through this morning. Since God chose you to be, and here's that word, be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with, un, with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive anyone, that's hard, who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. And always be thankful. Verse 16, let the message about Christ in all of its richness fill your lives Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks through him to God the Father. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, never treat them harshly. Children, obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not aggravate your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters. In everything you do, try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear for the Lord. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward. And that the master you are serving is Christ. But if you do what is wrong, you will be paid back for the wrong you have done. For God has no favorites. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be here. 
Holy Spirit, we ask that you would tear down walls that maybe we've had up. That God, you, your truth would come in and change the lies that we've been holding on to, that we've been believing, that the adversary has planted in our lives that have kept us from you. God, would we lean into you, lean into your truth and walk away different, having fallen more in love with you today than we did when we first walked in. Lord Jesus, we love you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I love how Paul is truly kind of answering these two greatest commands. See, if you are, if you are loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, if you are reset, if you are, have a new view, if you, uh, have, you have a reset nature, have a reset priorities in your life, if, if you are holy, then this is what should be evident in your life. This is what this is what Paul's saying here. So these so verses twelve and following uh, to about verse seventeen, he is actually giving. He's like, this is a description of a holy reset life. This sh- this should not just this should not just be accident. This should be part of your life. Now I'm not saying because for me I was not perfect, but I was being perfected. I was not finished, but God Jesus Christ completes me. You see, I'm not quite there, but as you look at these verses, and as Paul is penning these, putting pen to paper, he's going, this should be seen in your life. Because, because you're fulfilling the first and greatest commandment, which is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, strength. Do you see that? So, so this first part, if you are this, if you are reset, if you are holy, what should be evident? The first is in, we see in verse 12. Verse 12 says this, Since God chose you to be holy, to be a holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And then verse 14, if you jump down, it says, Above all, clothe yourselves with Love. Now, I love the description of the word clothe because you, you and I both know that the most evident thing about us is what we're wearing. So when you walk into a place, it's all over you. Even if people see you from a distance, they see what you're wearing. You know, and some ladies are like, she's wearing those shoes? Okay, all right. You know what I'm saying? Uh, uh, do you do it? Come on. All right. But the bottom line is, is, is our clothes are clear representations of, of hopefully maybe what maybe is what's in us, what kind of person we are sometimes. I mean, our clothes sometimes match our personalities and all this kind of stuff. I mean, I've, I've met people that, that actually attach uh, colors with feelings. And, I, and maybe that's true. And, or, I, you know, I feel kind of yellow today. I, I don't know what that means. I don't, I'm, I'm out. I, I, you know, I, but some people do that, you know. And, and so my question to you and what Paul is saying is, is, is if you are a follower of Jesus and your life has been reset, then his love clothes you. My question is, is does it? Does it? See, this echoes to Colossians chapter 2 where he said, or where Paul said earlier, that tie yourselves together with strong ties of love. And the word there again, he echoes it here, is agape. That unconditional God love. That unconditional love that, that I can't love my wife the way that I ought to or need to without agape. Because it's a fractured form of love. It's a, at, at best a brotherly love or an eros love. But, but if I have agape love, if I have Jesus all over me, then I'm going to love her. I'm going to love everyone else the way. Because it's all about me. It represents everything that, that is in me and, and through me. The Greek word clothed here actually means consumed. Fully vested. Fully invested. So is, are, when you look at your life, and you claim to be a follower of Jesus, a reset, uh, a reset life, a holy person because of who Jesus is. Can you look at your life and say, I'm clothed in love? His love, not yours, his love. Is that what's evident in your life when people talk to you and interact with you? Does it just pour from every, every pore of your body? Is, are you demonstrating, is, like you're wearing a shirt, like you're wearing pants, is this the most evident thing about you? If not, you need to ask why. Why is this not seen in my life? 
Paul's saying this should be evident in your life. This is this because this is what a transformed life should look like. Someone that is clothed in his love. Jesus is not just some optional swag either. Okay? We all love our swag. We love getting the new, you know, the new the new clothes and outfit and and uh and and going to uh buckle or wherever you go and and you know you, you get the new you know 150 dollar outfits and and that kind of thing and it's good for a season right you walk around with it you're like no one saw me i can wear this again you know what i'm saying and so so you go and and you find another place where you can show off the new outfit and and uh and, and we do it okay all right i've done this before and um well no one saw me on the weekday i can wear this on sunday so um but but the reality is, is Jesus is not just an outfit that eventually gets old. Jesus is your clothing. It should be on the outside of everything that you, that, that you say, that you do, that you look like. This should be just beaming from you. And if not, take note. Take note. Are you just living with Jesus or are you living for Jesus? Is he just a roommate? You just checking boxes? Or is he something, someone real in your life? Not only if you are transformed and you are changed and you are made holy, should his love clothe you, his message should fill you. Look at verse 16 with me. Let the message about Christ in all of its richness fill your lives. I love that. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Erwin McManus uh, some of you know, he is a pastor, author, um, teacher. He made this quote. He said this, beyond my flesh, beyond my mind, beyond my heart, there seems to be a place where my deepest and most powerful cravings lie. And they do not lie silently. My soul, it seems, always desires and demands and no matter how I try to satisfy it, it always craves more. A craving to be filled, to be full. Can I just say you will constantly be in the state of starving if the message that you are filled with is not the right message. If it is not a message of Jesus Christ on the tip of our tongue, what message describes you? What message comes from you? What, what words define you? I mean, is that, is, that what, is that the message that fills you? Because what has captured this, what message has captured this will come out here. I mean, just give it time. Give it time. Eventually, this comes out. I love, my, my wife and I occasionally throw on an amazing race. Some of you might be amazing race watchers. And, that's, uh, and, and, and the reason why is because it, it's truly like a, uh, it's like a social study. I mean, it's like you're, you're studying um, like human, uh, human kind. And, and what they'll do is, is they'll, the beginning of the show, and you might know this, the beginning of the show, they'll portray themselves as one way. And, uh, you know, and you, they're like the sweetest people in the world. But then all of a sudden you add some heat, you add some pressure. And yet what happens? They, they're like, Oh my, I'm so glad I'm not married to that person. You know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, I can't be around that. I mean, it's like, oh my, their true colors show. And, and, and I, honestly, I think when heat is applied to our lives, when trial hits, when pressure hits, that's when you need to ask, what kind of message has captured my heart? What kind of message is coming from my mouth? What kind of message is being demonstrated both verbally, but also non-verbally? What is being portrayed? What fills my life? He goes, Paul's saying a reset life, a holy life should have a message that clearly defines the fullness of Jesus Christ and what he's done in your life. This is the message that should be, that, that, that is not, and it's not optional. It's not an optional message that we hold on to. It's not something that we kind of, kind of tease around with. I love, um, I love what Will Mancini said. He said, uh, he called it, instead of calling it the Great Commission, which is go you therefore and make disciples, um, he says it is called the Functional Great Commission. And I think a lot of church 
church families and church people love this kind of great commission. Because this is what he says. He says, instead of go ye therefore and make disciples, he says, go into all the world and make more worship attenders. Baptizing them in the name of small groups. Teaching them to volunteer a few times a month. That's the functional great commission. Now, we like that one, right? I, can, I think I can volunteer. Yeah, I think I can. That, that, that message can kind of come out of me. Here, here it is. Um, that message doesn't save lives. That message doesn't save lives. That message is convenient. It speaks to the human heart, but it doesn't speak to the transformed heart. See, it's not the great suggestion It's the great commission. I'm changed. I'm different. My life no longer belongs to me. So it belongs to him. So ask whatever you want, God, and I will go. I will do. I will be. This is a transformed life. This is what Jesus does. This is what he's saying. His message has to fill you. And if it's not, what message are you buying into? What message are you listening to? What has consumed you See, we we love being a fan, but we don't like being filled. We love being a fan of Jesus, but not being filled by Jesus. What message grabs hold of you? Look at verse 17. We got to keep going. Verse 17, not only does his love clothe you, his message fills you if you have a reset holy life. But look at verse 17. It says this, and whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus. His life should also represent you. See, my life no longer belongs to me. My life is not found in me. It's not. It's now found in Jesus. It's now found in the other. It is now found in someone that could actually do something with the train wreck that I know Joel Oates is. My life is fully represented by Jesus in the way that I talk, in the way that I think, in the way that I am. And the word here actually representative actually means identification. This is what we're talking about here. Jesus is the total identification of who I am. If you, hopefully, hopefully, if you are, if you see Jesus, then you see at least, at least maybe a outer lying, you know, there's boundaries of Jesus in Joel's life. I'm not perfect, but I'm being perfected. It's not about perfection. It's about direction. And I'm headed towards Jesus. That's where I'm going. That's what it means. It's not being, I, I can't, I, I've, I gotta be completely finished and then I'll come to Jesus. No, Jesus finishes you. He completes you. So we head in that direction constantly. This is where we're going. He represents you. See, today our names don't carry the value that they once did in the old times, in the ancient times. See, names were of utmost importance during that time. In fact, they carried a lot of weight. They were identifying to who you are. So as Paul's writing this to the church of Colossae, he's saying his life needs to represent you. And names were so significant that Jesus would actually change names to better represent you. So it's no longer Saul. It's now Paul, right? It's not longer It's Israel. I mean, this is Jesus does what Jesus does. He transforms you. He sets you apart. He makes us holy. He becomes your representation. This should be found in your life, in my life. The name of Christ identifies you and me. I was listening to a song this morning. It's, it's an old song by, uh, by a band called, uh, or an old worship band called New Song, okay? And um, they had this song called The Name Above All Names. And it was just, it, it's the name above all names. We wear his name. We wear his name. The name above all names. I'm wondering, do we wear his name? Is he what we identify with in, in every aspect of our lives? This means that Christ is and should always be central in our lives because he's, because our life is found in him. It comes from him. Our resource and all that we are come from him. James 1.17 says this, and I love what it says here. It says, whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in heaven. Notice he doesn't say, whatever is good and perfect is found by me, captured by me, done by me. Um, no, he says, whatever is good, I want to be good. 
But guess what? I, I can't get there. I don't have good. Okay, so who does? Uh, and whatever is perfect. I'm not perfect, but who is perfect? It comes from the gift. It's a gift from God Almighty who made everything. This is from, our gift is Jesus. Every good and perfect thing in my life, anything good you see in Joel Oates' life is not Joel Oates. It is Jesus Christ and always will be, period. Listen, if I, if I chose my own way, goodness, I wouldn't be moving to New Mexico and teaching to a bunch of people in, a, in an audience. I just wouldn't. It's not because I would choose comfort over calling. I really would. I, I would choose what I want. I want to go. My family is, my mom and dad retired in Tampa. So I probably want to go to Tampa. You know, do you see what I'm saying? But my life doesn't belong to me. Amen. It belongs to Jesus. And I'm so thankful that he brought me here to share about Jesus with you. This is my life and I love it. I couldn't see my life any other way. I love you even if I don't know your name. And I forget a lot, okay? My, my wife helps me, you know? She's like, no, that's, that's not that person's name. Okay, right. I'm trying. So if I pull out a notebook, just, okay, all right, all right. His life represents you, does it? Galatians 5, 22 through 25. I love what Paul says here. He says, but the Holy Spirit produces, produces this kind of fruit in our lives. See, remember I read a passage in Jeremiah about the tree planted along the riverbank? Uh, it's not much of a tree if it's not showing its, its branches, revealing its leaves, but more importantly, it's not, if it's not revealing its fruit. If you have a fruit tree not having fruit, you need to ask what kind of tree it really is, Right? But, Jesus, but Paul says here, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit, meaning this should just be part of your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus, they've nailed their passions and desires, or excuse me, they, they have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross. And crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. There's no part that, should be not, that shouldn't be touched as a follower of Jesus. Every part. And you know what, though? Here's what's great. Because God is perfecting me and he's still working in me, I know there's still dark parts in my heart. I get it. You know what? When those things are revealed in my heart, you know what I do? I let the love and light of Jesus shine brightly in that area, expose it so I can repent of it and grow from it. And then he fills, he, he fills that empty gap that I tried to fill my heart with for years and years and years. He fills it and he becomes my full representation. So if I am loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, then guess what? Here's this other half. And there's three things Paul gives us. And he goes into detail a little bit about these. He says, if you're loving God, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you are being holy, and then this should be evident in your life, then you will be able to, the second part of the greatest commandment, love people. If you're loving God, you're going to be loving people. It's not on your own. You can't do it. You're going to do a horrible job at it. But if Jesus has transformed you, and you are someone new, then you're going to be able to love people. And so Paul starts out with the highest earthly relationship we can have on this planet and it's between a husband and a wife it's the greatest earthly intimate relationship that you can share with another person both physically emotionally mentally i mean this is the the deepest bond you can experience here on earth with another human life and so paul goes straight straight there and he says wives Submit to your husband. If you're loving God, then guess what? You can do this. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Children, obey your parents for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not aggravate your children or they will become discouraged. When we are loving the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we are holy, we've been set apart, then, then you will be able to do this other part is what Paul is saying. This is possible because he made it possible in you. 
I can now, and I can't go into a lot of time because we're going to have some further time talking about husbands and wives in in future future times together. And I'm looking forward to spending that. But let me say this. uh, Wives, when it's talking about submission, it's not talking about um, degradation. He's He's not saying you're less than. Okay, so please hear me. In fact, Jesus had a very lofty view of women. Incredible view of women. In fact, the women were the first to actually see the risen Lord before guys. I mean, Jesus had a very high view of women. So whatever the world tells you is a lie. That's not true. Jesus highly has a high, high standard and a high view of women. But he also, as the God of the universe, he has a creative order in the way things best work. And so when you hear that word submission, it's actually, it's actually, think of it from a military standpoint. A military standpoint in regard to this is everyone plays a role. Plays a role. The husband, you play a role. The wife plays a role answering to certain people. The husband answers to to God Almighty. This is the order in which God had created it. And the moment we start trying to go outside of God's creative order, the way things ought to be and are is when things begin to go bad. Now, it takes all parties not trying to do it on themselves, but being the person we need to be so that we can function in the healthy relationship that we need to be. So uh, that means husbands, you better be loving your wives. Oh, you better be loving your wife. You better be sacrificing for your wife. You know, I, I, I and, and it's so, it's so easy for me to get there. Sometimes we all guys have these hard weeks and we want to come home and, and we want to, we want to sit down and we just want to veg out. And I, and I've been there and, and sometimes I still am. And, and, and the truth is, is my life does not belong to me. It belongs to him. He has called me to love outside of my own convenience and comfort. And so I need to not only be the first person up, I need to be the last in bed. I need to come home and let these three kids um, crawl all over dad's face, love them as best as I can, okay, and just be present in their life because I love them, I care about them, I want, and, and then you know what? The one who has the best and, and most focused side of me, even at the end of a hard day, better be my bride. She's going to get the best of me. And I'll be honest with you, I'm only as good here as I am at home. If I'm losing it there at home, I'm going to be awful here. I'm not going to be the person, the pastor. I'm not going to be the, anyone, anything that God needs me to be if that is off. And so it, there's a gauge. There's a there's margin that God creates in our life. But, but God is, is, is very clear uh, about the creative order. This is, listen to what Dr. Michael Kern said from Moody Bible Institute about us husbands. Husbands are to place the needs of their wife above themselves and rely upon and trust her above all others. Most importantly, husbands are to love their wives the same way that God has loved us. This is, in my view, the highest value that one could place on anybody. The truth is, is I wasn't ready for Michelle that fi- at the beginning of that five years. I wasn't. My heart, my life, there was so much that God needed to do to reset and to, to cut away out of my life which is why I was different at the end of that five years than I was at the beginning, truly. And, and I'm so thankful that he did because uh, we got, got together in June. I bought a ring in August. I got engaged in September because when you know, you know, right? And, uh, and then I was married in February 2006. And man, it's been a great ride. We got pregnant in March 2006, but God, you know, God knows, right? Had a baby in 2006. Okay, 2006 was big. All right. But I loved it, you know, because he, he was, he was the, the first. And so the greatest gift that I could give my wife was to keep him first and to love him well and let him be all that she needed from me. And, and that's who I want to be. So when there is, and let me say this, husbands, wives, about sacrifice and submission, when sacrifice and submission is present in an atmosphere of love you will find a happy home when you're doing it god's way you will find a happy home when there is equal sacrifice and submission that is going on um you're going to find a happy home you really will you're going to be on the same page you're going to be loving each other well, connecting connecting very well with each other 
You don't need another self-help book. You need more Jesus. <laughs> okay? Um, all right, we've got to keep going. All right. So, um, the, verse 20. Look at me. Not only can we be the spouse God intended, but we can also be the son and daughter. Look at verse 20 with me. This is what it says. It says, children, always obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. Wow. Children, always obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. This verse actually echoes, um, and several of these verses echoes of Ephesians chapter 6. And so let me read some of that with you. Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you, and you will have a long life on the earth. Okay. Son, I mean, sons, daughters, let me talk to you for a second, okay? Everyone here was a son and daughter at one point, okay? Um, sons, daughters, uh, let me give you uh, in, in layman's terms what Paul is saying right here in Ephesians and, uh, and here in Colossians. If you want to have a long life, obey and honor your parents, which also means the opposite. If you continue to treat your parents like trash, don't expect a long life. Sons, daughters, it's not about you. It, it's not. And I know you think that you have the world in front of you and you're going you're gonna, to you know, grab it by the tail and you're going to just ring it around. You're going to control everything. Sons, daughters, for the sake of your lives... Obey mom and dad. It's not about you. It never was. Sometimes we think that, that the world revolves around us. It is, a, it is a movie. It's like this moving movie around you. And you got cameras over here and, and everyone else is just character actors kind of in your world and, and, and you invite them in when you want to. But the world is about you and you know everything. And so you continue to tell mom and mom and dad, you're the I got it guy or I got it girl. I got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. I don't need, I don't need, I know exactly what I'm doing. Oh, okay. All right. Mom and dad actually know some stuff. So they really do. I mean, they actually love you more than their own lives. Now, you may not think that, and you may come from a broken home, so that may not be true. But the bottom line is this. If you obey your parents, even if they're train wrecks, God's going to bless you. God will bless you. Honor your father and mother. And guess what? Honoring your father and mother doesn't end. It's your whole life. It's your, it's your whole life. It's saying, Mom, Dad, I, 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 I honor you with my words. I honor you with my actions. But understand this, that is only possible if you've been set apart. If you know Jesus and he is preeminent and he is in the right place in your life, only then can you be the son and daughter that you need to be. Only then can you be the husband and wife that you need to be. That's, it's, it starts here and ends here. I can, if I'm loving God, I'm going to love people, the people that are most important to me in my life. And it's only found through here can that begin to happen. Children, can I just say, man. And, I, I, and I'm speaking from experience. I was a stubborn. I was, the, I was the black sheep of the family. Man, I, I went down some really poor roads. I was, all, I was a part of all kinds of things. I had a twin brother that helped me get there. I mean, that's what we do. We, we were like cohorts in sin. It was awesome, you know? I mean, and, and we, we played that game and we, we walked down that avenue. But can I just say that it, it damaged us. It damaged me. But I can also say this. God, from that moment where I just said, it's not about me, it's about you. He redeemed all of it. Jesus can redeem all of it. There's no lost cause. There's no one so far gone. You can look at, some of you can look at your own life and go, I should not be here today. Some of you should say, I should not be even alive today, but I am. By the grace of God, I am. This is what Jesus does. He sees you. He transforms you. He makes you someone different and can make you into the son and daughter. Husbands, excuse me, fathers, can I, and this is one caveat before, before we're done. Don't shove your children um, into behavior modification, okay? Don't, don't ride them until they are so spiteful and hateful. Um, this, is what, this is what he's saying about don't treat them harshly, okay? Don't drive them into the ground. Love them well. Love them above and beyond their own sin. 
That's what Jesus did for us. And so now it's possible for you to do that to your son and your daughter. Love them well. God is doing a work and will redeem if you stay faithful. Because it's hard for a child to understand what authority is and to live under authority if mom and dad aren't living under authority as well. So live under authority. Okay, we got to keep going. All right, last, finally. Be the worker. Not only are we to be the spouse because of the holy redeemed life, but not only uh, we can be a son and daughter, but we can also be the worker in everything, in everything, not in some things, in everything you do, understand you are a representation of Jesus Christ, of God Almighty. And it's above and beyond you. First Corinthians fifteen fifty eight says this, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Meaning when you are doing everything as unto the Lord, as Paul tells us here, then guess what? It actually carries weight and value in the lives of everyone else around you. So your most hated boss becomes easier to love and forgive. And work for because you're not working for him or her you're working for him it's not a horizontal relationship it's this vertical relationship i can love the most hardest people on the planet to love not because it's in me not because i can figure out these horizontal relationships it's because of who jesus is and how he's aligned my heart to love people well work people work with people well and truly go beyond myself outside of my own comfort zone and actually work with people that truly might even hate me and call me names i mean it just doesn't we work in difficult environments but you are a representation you are clothed in love and you're walking into an environment that Jesus intended you for to, to be in. Intended for you to be in. So work as unto the Lord, completely demonstrating all that he is. I, God led me to Isaiah this morning, and it's just, a, just Isaiah 45, verse 5 says this. And I love what he says, and it's not going to be on the screen. It says, I am the Lord, there's no other God. This is what he, I am the Lord, there's no other God. I've equipped you as my followers of Jesus as my followers of my son, I've equipped you for battle. Though you may not even fully know me. So all, why? So all the world from east to west will know that there is no other God. When you endure the worst work environment ever, people are going to know there's no other God that can cause you to live and function the way that you are in that environment. There's no other God. You plant seeds all over the place when you take the most, when you take really harsh, difficult times and you switch it around and you still love your boss and you still love those that are in authority over you. Doesn't matter. You're representing the fullness of who God is so that people will know there's no other God but him. This is what it means to be the worker God intended for you to be. Church, listen. If you have been reset, if your heart has been reset by Jesus Christ, then there should be a result. Yes, being clothed in love. Yes, it should be evident in, in the message that you speak. Everything about you should be consumed and represented by Jesus. And I'm, then I'll be able to love my, the, the most important people in my life, my children, my wife, my spouses, even those that I work with. And I will work as unto the Lord until his return because my life doesn't belong to me. Your life no longer belongs to you. So live faithful for him. Paul's saying live faithful, live different, be different and experience a different kind of life. This is the call. That Paul is, is pinning pen to paper. And this is what he's placing upon us this morning. Is Jesus the most significant? Is he the most significant thing in your life? Can you think of what you were wearing the moment that you came to know him? Can, can you think of the, the smells around you, the people that you were with, what you had for lunch? Uh, I'm not saying that that's part of it. I'm just saying, was that moment so significant that it consumes you? That on the flip side of it, there's something different about you. If there's nothing different about you, please be honest right now. Please be honest. If you're not different, you need to ask why. It's not just this. It's not just having Jesus as a roommate, living with Jesus. 
No, it's, it's going, it's, it's about Jesus having this, living for Jesus. I don't want to be just a fan. I want to be a follower. Church, be followers. Be followers. Let, let his love consume you. Let his life change you and transform you. And then you know what? Going outside these walls actually makes sense then. It's no longer crazy people just standing out there speaking a different message. All of a sudden, it's like, no, this is the only message. This is the only life that the people outside these walls and in a dark world need to know about. It's not, I know Jesus, but I'm going to become rich and this is my end game. No, it's, um, I work where I work. I live where I live so that the end game can be all about Jesus. This is my life. And I wouldn't want anything different. Let's go to Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you so much for, thank you for so much for the transformed lives that you did here even early this morning, those that said yes to you. God, I pray that if there's someone here that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that, that, that understand this, that's where it starts. A reset life demands results, the results of God. A reset life by God, it demands the results of God. So God, as we look at our life, would we be honest? Are the results of God found in our life? Are we clothed in your love? Is your message um, completely consuming our heart and our life and coming forth from us? Are you our identity? And we can look at that by saying, how are we doing in, in regard to loving, loving people? Am I loving my wife well? Am I loving my husband well? Am I loving, is our children, children, are you obeying well? I mean, am I working well? Is, is my life upside down? Well, maybe it's not because of the second. Maybe it's because of the first, because you don't know Jesus. So if you don't know Jesus Christ, in a few moments, we're going to have people up here that would love to talk with you and love to give you that opportunity. Maybe you have a, a journey where my life has been reset, but I've got some repentance I've got to do. I've been holding on to sin. I've been holding on to these things that I want. I don't know what tender-hearted mercy looks like in my life. I don't know what patience looks like. Dads, maybe you need to confess of some anger that you've expressed towards your kids, towards your wife, towards your family, towards yourself. And maybe we just need to repent and say, God, heal my anger. Heal these different things. I don't, I don't know what it is. Maybe there's an addiction that God's saying, hey, lay it at my feet. That's going to block you. That, that message has consumed you more than my message. And we need to repent. So maybe it's an addiction, maybe it's substance abuse, maybe it's pornography, maybe whatever it is. I, whatever is consuming you, let Christ consume you first. And then these other things, loving your spouse and your wife and your children and all these, those will follow in line. But it starts here. Father, thank you for every single person in here. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Would you stand to your feet, church? As the band plays here this morning, there's going to be some people along my right and my left. If you want to give your heart to Christ... Um, if you want prayer, maybe you just need to use this altar and just repent. Whatever you need to do, do business with God. He's calling to you. He's waiting on you. He's saying, man, I made you. You're mine. I know exactly who you are. And I want to claim you. I chose you to be holy. So let me bring you there. Let me bring you there. So as the band plays this morning, whatever God is doing on your heart, you will be obedient. You respond this morning.